Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. For her feature-length film, Sea of Life, the ever-talented Julia Barnes interviewed scientists and activists working to save the ocean. On today's episode, she shares a conversation she had with a leading marine conservationist going back through the history of fishing and looking forward toward the future of ocean conservation. Here's Julia with more. The next interview that I'll be sharing from Sea of Life is with Callum Roberts. Callum is a marine conservation biologist, oceanographer, researcher, and author. I talked to Callum about human impacts on the ocean, going back through the history of fishing, and looking towards the future of ocean conservation. Our longest impact on the oceans is fishing. So you can find the first evidence of seafood dinners in caves in South Africa going back something like 140,000 years or so. And those are the um, shells that are strewn across the bottom of the cave. In the same caves, you can see the emergence of technologies used to catch fish. So around 70,000 years ago, they started to heat treat uh, spear points uh, to make really good harpoons. And they were catching fish that way. And then you see hooks coming in, and obviously hook and line technology coming in later on. And so we see unfolding in South Africa this uh, emergence of uh, our humanity and our ability technologically to exploit the environment. So fishing is the longest term impact. And and in fact, you have to roll forward a long time before you get to the point where commercial fisheries developed. But they're surprisingly old. So um, we see the first commercial fishing in the Black Sea in the Mediterranean, something like 3,000 years ago. And around the Western Mediterranean, there are areas with uh, fish factories for processing fish into fish sauce, um, which was then shipped around the Roman Empire. And the the Romans were great fish fans. And uh, the sauce was used in, in virtually everything. And then if we roll forward a little bit more, we see the emergence of commercial fisheries in northern Europe about a thousand years ago. And then uh, gradually uh, in the 19th century, the emergence of industrial fishing and its intensification through the 20th century and, uh, and its increasing technological sophistication into the 21st century. So fishing is a profound impact that people have on the sea. But we also have other impacts that come along later on. So uh, around the, the, the middle of the 20th century, we start seeing plastic pollution coming from our newly invented uh, plastics. And we, we see the emergence of, uh, of large-scale agricultural pollution from fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides, uh, sediment runoff from, from land that has been deep plowed for agriculture. So all of these sorts of things are, are emerging. And then in the, the, the latter part of the 20th century, we see the signal of climate change all around us with the increases in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The oceans have been warming. The, uh, the average temperature of the ocean has increased by something like uh, uh, a little bit over half a degree Celsius in the last um, uh, 30 years or so. And uh, it's, it's increased by more in some places. So in the North Sea, in Europe, uh, the temperature has gone up by something like a degree or, or a degree and a half Celsius in the last 30 years or so. 
And that's leading to shifts in the distribution of fish species and invertebrates and so on. They're, they're moving from warm water to, to pole waters in order to stay in their thermal comfort zones. So all of these sorts of changes are happening uh, collectively and, and, and altering the, 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 the marine environment in a multitude of different ways. And taken together, you can say that the sea is changing now faster and in more ways than it has done in the entirety of human history. How does the increasing human population impact the ocean? Well, all of the changes that we're seeing happening now in the, in the 20th and into the 21st century are driven by uh, one thing, essentially, and that is human population growth. We have uh, been accelerating in terms of population size uh, for, for the last several centuries, but we're now getting to this steepness of the curve where, where we're adding hundreds of millions of people every decade. And, and that is making a profound difference to the scale of our impact on the planet. The second thing about modern people, as opposed to people 300 years ago, is that we use far more in the way of energy resources and, and materials than we did then. And so it's not just numbers, but it's also about consumption of stuff and uh, energy use which is driving change in the planet right now. Uh, and that is really why the planet is changing faster than it's ever done under human influence, because uh, of just the sheer explosion in population numbers in the last few decades. Tell me about the importance of the ocean. Well, the oceans are incredibly important. Now, to a lot of people, they're somewhere out there. Uh, they don't think about them very much, and they, they can't see that the oceans play a role in their daily lives. But it's, it's become a truism. Everybody knows that the, the world is a blue planet and it's, it's an ocean planet. The sea covers 71% of the surface of the world. And that seems like a lot. You know, it's twice the amount of land. But the important thing is that the ocean occupies a huge fraction of the living space on the planet, more than 95%. And because of that, it has an overwhelming influence in terms of the processes that underpin the livability of this planet. And we ignore that at our peril. So really, um, the, the ocean is vital to all of us. All of the things that go on in the ocean, all of those ecological processes generate things like oxygen. They take up our waste. They store away carbon in the, uh, in the oceans instead of having it go out into the atmosphere. So it is a really, really important part of the way the world works. And uh, we, we need to pay it much closer attention because degradation of the ocean will affect all of us. How does our relationship with nature need to change? Throughout human history, we've, we've got along by using up our resources. You know, if we used up all the resources in a particular area, there was no problem. You could simply move somewhere else. There was plenty of empty space on the planet. But today, we live in a full world. In fact, we've, we've exceeded the capacity of the planet. And unfortunately, we still think the way that we did 20,000 years ago or 50,000 years ago. We're still creatures of habit, hardwired to use up resources and, and to think of them as being unlimited. And so it's very hard for us to change our ways today, but change we must because the rules of the game have changed as people have expanded to fill up the world. So now we have to become a species that that looks after and cherishes and nurtures its resources uh, because we have to realize that, that, that there is no somewhere else that we can go and exploit stuff any longer. 
the only things that we have are right here. And if we, uh, if we use them all up, then that's going to be a, a very bad thing for not just ourselves, but for future generations. But it's hard to change our natures. Uh, that's the challenge which faces us in this century. How does agriculture impact the ocean? One of the things that's happened over the last 50 years is that agriculture has become industrialized and we've started to create huge quantities of agrochemicals. So, for example, all the fertilizers that we're adding to the soils as natural nutrients have been depleted. What happens to them, though, is that when they run off in, into the ocean, they fertilize the sea um, and they, they boost plankton production. The trouble is that they exceed the capacity of the, uh, of the water to uh, assimilate all of that growth uh, and to, to process the, the dead bodies that are created when plankton blooms. And where you have a, a narrow enclosed body of water, so somewhere like the St. Lawrence Seaway, for example, or the North Sea or the Baltic Sea, the Black Sea, these are places that are enclosed and the nutrients build up there to such levels that that the, the plankton blooms end up uh, 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 exceeding the accelerative capacity, uh, the breakdown of their bodies uses up all the oxygen, you start getting dead zones formed. And, um, well, dead zones are dead, really, apart from uh, little bacteria that can cope with no oxygen. But um, the, the, the problem then is that we see all sorts of pr- uh, uh, breakdown in the, in the processes that keep the water clear, that keep things healthy, which uh, maintain the productivity of the ocean environment. And we start to see the emergence of problems uh, when we fertilize the oceans like harmful algal blooms, so where toxic plankton blooms and causes uh, the deaths of marine mammals. They can cause toxic shellfish poisoning to us. Um, it can cause irritation of the, the mucous membranes. People walking along the beaches in Florida, for example, uh, when there's a red tide event, the, 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 the red tide is churned into an aerosol by the waves. They breathe it in, and that leads to more emergency admissions in hospitals. So uh, these sorts of problems are a consequence of, uh, of a number of things happening at once. One is the nutrient enrichment, and the other is the overfishing problem. So uh, that both of those impact on the sea's capacity to look after itself properly, and that means problems for us. Tell me about the importance of biodiversity. Rich and vibrant ecosystems have large numbers of different species, and, and uh, they perform a variety of functions that underpin the processes that are useful to us. So, for example, um, assimilating our waste, keeping the water clean and healthy, uh, providing productive fisheries, all of those things are products of the natural biodiversity in the sea. When that biodiversity starts to be uh, impacted by human activity and all of these uh, uh, multiple changes that are taking place in the sea, then we, we, we begin to see the erosion of all of these functions. And, uh, and one by one, you know, it's like the lights going off in a city. And, and uh, the trouble is that you don't just lose the species that uh, is disappearing. That one's connected to other species in a complete web of life. And when you knock out one of those, then it has repercussions that go far beyond just itself. And so over time, uh, we, we see the, um, the ecosystem becoming more and more compromised to the point where it can collapse and you start losing functions big time. There's a wonderful analogy that uh, Paul Ehrlich um, uh, 
thought up a long time ago. And he said that uh, species like the rivets in an airplane wing, uh, and you can start losing rivets and it doesn't make any difference uh, for a while until suddenly you get catastrophic failure of the plane. And we're losing those rivets in terms of ecosystems. The, the little functions are disappearing. And eventually, collectively, that sums up to a really big impact. And, a, and it can mean very sudden changes in the sea. What is longlining and how does it impact the ocean? Longlining is a method of fishing, which was developed in the Middle Ages in order to improve people's ability to catch fish. So instead of having just a single line with a hook at the end of it, people started first to add multiple hooks, and then they made the line longer, and they had hooks at intervals along that line, and eventually they ended up with very long lines with many, many hooks. So by the beginning of the 19th century, people were fishing using lines that had hundreds of hooks on them and that may be a mile long. Today, we're fishing with long lines that have thousands of hooks on them, tens of thousands of hooks, and which are uh, tens of miles long. So long lines are incredibly uh, prevalent around the oceans. Uh, there's, a, there's a figure that says the, the amount of long line that's set in the oceans every day is enough to wrap around the planet 500 times. And those long lines are very unselective. They catch everything that's around. And there's a case, uh, there was a study in Costa Rica looking at a longline fishery for mahi-mahi. And now mahi-mahi is a, a good fish to choose if you like eating fish because they, um, they live fast, they grow uh, to a large size, um, they reproduce early, they've got all the characteristics for a good sustainable fishery. But catching them with longlines is anything but sustainable for all of the rest of the fish that are being caught. And in Costa Rica, studies showed that for 44,000 hooks that were set, there were 211 mahi-mahi caught. That doesn't sound like many. There were more than twice as many olive ridley turtles caught on those same long lines. And there were 200-plus loggerhead turtles, 20 green turtles. There were sunfish. There were sharks and from shallow water, from deep water. It was catching everything. And so in pursuit of that one fish, we were destroying this marvelous place, this area of the oceans which supports some of the best predatory fish populations, the best megafauna populations on the planet. And it's not worth it. It just isn't worth it. And in many places where we've been using long lines for a very long time, it's pretty much all gone. How have coral reefs changed in your lifetime? When I first started diving on coral reefs over 30 years ago, they, they were uh, incredible ecosystems. There was coral all over them. This, it, my, my first experiences were in the Red Sea. And I still remember that first dive, going into the water, kind of swimming over the reef crest and seeing for the first time the, the edge of the reef with these great clouds of fish. And then there were fish moving around me, surging past. Uh, it was terrifying and amazing at the same time. And, and really, for me, that uh, set the course of my career. I, I wanted to be a marine biologist from that moment onwards. But coral reefs have suffered greatly in the last 30 years. So um, in the Caribbean, for example, in the 1980s, we saw a succession of problems, a, a die-off of sea urchins, uh, two mass uh, disease epidemics for the biggest reef-building corals, the staghorn and the elkhorn coral. In the eastern Pacific, we saw the complete elimination of Galapagos coral reefs as a result of a massive El Nino there. 
1998, there was a worldwide coral reef death as a consequence of excessive heating of the, the seawater, so bleaching of corals, uh, when they turn deathly white as the relationship between the, the, uh, the algae that live in their tissues and, and the coral breaks down. Uh, we saw 70 to 90% of the corals die across the whole Indian Ocean in 1998. So coral reefs have suffered enormously as a consequence of these multiple impacts. Even the best protected coral reef on the planet, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, has lost half of its coral in the last 15 years. And that's truly shocking, that, that somewhere that we think is protected, that we think is well looked after, is under our very noses degrading uh, to that extent. It's, it's shocking. And it's indicative of, of the kind of broader scale changes that are happening to the planet. So uh, the, the global warming is one thing. Uh, nutrient enrichment from runoff of the coast is another thing that's happening in Australia, causing outbreaks of coral-eating starfish. Um, and then the other thing is ocean acidification, which is where carbon dioxide dissolves in seawater. It makes it more acidic and it makes it harder for all of those creatures that, that uh, build skeletons from, the, uh, from chalk, essentially calcium carbonate. And so the Great Barrier Reef is suffering as a result of these, this collective of impacts, none of which we're addressing effectively in, in, the, in the protection of the local environment. So coral reefs are really a harbinger of global change, and um, they're especially vulnerable to the, 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 the changes that are underway in the oceans today. What would you say to inspire someone to protect the ocean? If I was to inspire somebody... Um, I would say go and look at two pieces of ocean. Go, go to a protected area that is really well looked after, that is enforced, where the animals have a genuine refuge from us, where they're not fished, they're not targeted, where we're not using destructive fishing methods in there, where we're trying to reduce all of the other sources of human harm. You will see an incredible environment, lots of fish, a thronging ecosystem. And then go somewhere else that is not protected and have a look there and see what the difference is. We know we have to do more for fish and for wildlife in the sea. We need to have much more in the way of these protected areas. And I'd like to see, you know, armies of citizens who are going out telling their uh, political leaders we need more protection because it's not good enough to have the sea like this in this kind of depleted and degraded state. We've got to look after it much better. But they're, they're, the oceans are something we all love. Uh, it's, it's almost uh, visceral for people because we came from the sea originally. We, we evolved from marine life. And uh, that gives us some sort of um, connection to the sea that we really, uh, you know, almost sense but don't really understand people love the oceans if you ask people you know what type of environment really uh, uh, affects you um, you know inspires you people will say the sea more often than not and uh, so i think we can build on that love of the sea to help restore the ocean you can find out more about the show on the show notes page at wildlensinc.org slash EOC 158.